Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 365, recorded May 15th, 2022. And we're continuing our cleanup of a couple of stories that we missed <laughs> in our first go-around. <sighs> the cleanup continues. Actually, I think this is this the is last the last of the clean-off, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean-up. Unless we find out something else I missed. Okay, but uh, so now we're cleaning up and getting those things... That, that, that we had missed the first time around. But now there's more books out there that have been published since we realized our faux pas. Right. So, so now we have several episodes of... Uh, we, several... Issues. Issues, enough to fill several episodes um, mm-hmm. for the next couple of weeks. Right. Uh, both, they restarted Alien Spotlight, but now they're just calling it Spotlight. So we, okay. have, we have that series. We have Discovery... Adventures in the 32nd Century. Oh, boy. And um, Mirror War is chugging along. So, Oh, wow. We're busy. We got, we got some catching up. Dang it, Donovan. Are we going to catch up? Yeah, eventually. And then we can start doing <laughs> our fun stuff. Well, oh, are you saying Star Trek isn't fun? Oh, no, I'm saying Star Trek is fun. But okay. I, I, I'm looking forward to doing something else every once in a while. There you go. Instead of having to wait just for April Fool's. Not that we've ever done that. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, yeah. So today we're doing Alien Spotlight and Dorian's, mm-hmm. which uh, came out in 2007. And then uh, John Burns sneaked in a few like little short stories into some of the uh, New Visions mm-hmm. collected volumes. Great. So there's like little short stories that came out in uh, 2015, 2019. Mm-hmm. And then he did a full issue that was... A uh, only available through humble bum, humble bundle. I always want to call it humble bumble, mm. but humble bundle, which was like a charity thing where you bought a whole bunch of Star Trek comics, and then this was thrown in there as a, an incentive to to do this uh, charity thing. So mm. um, they eventually uh, collected that into one of the New Vision omnibuses. So uh, that's how omnibuses. <laughs> omnibuses. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so uh, we got three new vision stories that all were kind of s- delivered in in a weird way, not just a normal monthly issue, and the one alien spotlight. Cool. So, uh, and the alien spotlight is set in the next gen, which is kind of cool to mm-hmm. to revisit that time frame. Right. And then obviously the new visions is all Taz. And, of course, Andorians have been around for all the incarnations. Uh, But it's kind of... Did we see a lot of Andorians in Starfleet in Next Gen? I don't remember seeing a lot of Andorians. I don't remember seeing a lot either. Yeah. Which, of course, we... Yeah. Go ahead. uh, We saw a bunch during Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. That was... They were the... They were kind of the Klingons of the Enterprise series in that they would come back ever so often and 
right. either help you or hurt you. Exactly. You never quite knew. They were frenemies. Exactly. But it was kind of cool to see that frenemy end up becoming you know, a founding member of the, of the Federation. Exactly. Cool. So we definitely learn a lot more about Andorians in this uh, Alien Spotlight, as you would th- as you would expect. Right. Cool. All right, so uh, shall I get started? Let's do it. All right, so Star Trek Alien Spotlight Andorians came out November 2007. The issue is entitled The Old Ways. Written by Paul D. Strohe. Art and colors by Leonard O'Grady. Letters by Chris Mowry. Covers by Leonard O'Grady and Zach Howard. Edits by Andrew Stephen Harris. And so the two covers uh, by both Leonard O'Grady and Zach Howard, they kind of look the same. It's just an Andorian's face. So I guess it's uh, the main character here in the story that we I'll talk about here in a minute. But it's just a male Andorian's head, and then in one of them it's a male Andorian's head holding up a knife. Um, and then there is a third cover, which is a photo cover that just shows Jeffrey Combs from uh, Star Trek Enterprise. All right, so the book starts with Commander Sherrod, and he is a commander, three pips and all. Uh, He's working on his analytics about the galactic threats that are currently plaguing the Federation on his uh, work pad, and he's setting in 10 forward when Troy walks up and asks if she can join. He agrees, and she sits down. They chat for a bit. But then the Andorian gets a little upset uh, when he finds out that this is more of an office visit than just hanging out because she seems to be concerned that uh, he's not uh, basically because he doesn't have any friends. (laughs) So basically she says, you know, because he's not hanging out with other people, she's concerned. And then he's like, well, you don't need to be concerned. I'm just busy doing my analytics. And he basically says he points out. All the things that are happening in the universe at the time being, you know, the, the constant threat of the Romulans, the constant threat of the Borg. And then there's this whole new thing coming from the Gamma Quadrant referring to the Dominion. So later, the Enterprise arrives to Andor uh, so that Picard can speak with the planet's leader about the Andor staying in the Federation. Because it seems that the Andor people are starting to revert back to their old isolinist and xenophobic ways where they're wanting to pull away from the Federation. And it seems that the number of people that are wanting to do this are getting quite high. Sherrod uses this time to beam down to visit with his family. As he's walking through the town, he is accosted by locals who claim that he's just a pink skin's pet since he's still wearing the Starfleet uniform. The confrontation is broken up when Sherrod's much larger brother arrives. Dinner is the typical family dinner that we all have to go through, uh, with complete with uncomfortable questions from well-meaning loved ones like, are you eating enough? Or when are you going to settle down with a nice foursome and start a family? You know, the normal stuff. So Sherrod ends up leaving his family dinner, and he meets up with his childhood sweetheart named Thred. Uh, They meet at a bar and eventually leave when his Starfleet uniform is drawing a little too much attention for the two. In a nearby alley, they are accosted by a gang, and then Sherrod is quickly knocked out by somebody who hits him from the back. 
And then he awakens in a cell. And then he finds out that Theron is there, and she states that she is with the rebels and is actually the local leader. Sherrod says that uh, he knew that this was the case from the letters that she had sent. Um, not necessarily what she said, but what she didn't say. He was able to deduce that she was heavily involved in this underground movement. He also states that she is a two-level of a leader in order to order the kidnapping from even a lonely Starfleet analyst. So obviously somebody else must have approved his kidnapping, and then that turns out to be true when General Corvin arrives. The general offers Sherrod to join the rebellion, but Sherrod refuses. The general then orders him to be taken in for torture to get whatever Federation information he has out of him. En route to the torture room, Sherrod says that his Andorian honor has been insulted when the general says that he will break. Sherrod demands that a challenge to the death. The general agrees and points out that Sherrod intended this since if the general didn't go through with the fight, he would lose face with all of his followers, and that if he kills Sherrod, then the information that they need will forever be gone. Regardless, he says that he, the general, is more important to the movement than any information that Sherrod might have about the Federation. So the fight commences. So the two are attached with a large cuff over their hand and then connected by a long wire. Uh, each are given a blade that is held in their fists similar to a human's brass knuckles. Uh, this, this bladed weapon is called a Yushan Tor. The fight actually is remarkably quick, with Sherrod dodging a few blows, and then he sweeps behind the general and stabs him in the back. Outraged, the other Endorians want to kill him immediately. Sherrod points out to Theran that this was all part of his plan and that he knows that when he dies, he will die knowing that he is doing what he can to help keep the Andor into the Federation and that uh, he knows that by killing the general, the, the movement will fall. And so basically he gets ready, takes a fighting stance, and the issue ends. So... I don't think he's going to make it. No. No, he's not going to make it. And in that final panel, he is surrounded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look good. So this was all part of his plan. All from the beginning. I loved it. So he knew he was going to go in there dying. So no wonder he's not too, you know, overly frisky and wanting to chit-chat too much on the Enterprise. Right. Or even with his family, because he even kind of cuts it short when they start talking about the future. He's just like, yeah, well, I got to go. Because he knows that yeah, he, he don't have no future. Be around. Yeah, exactly. No, I thought it was great, and I loved how he was like outmaneuvering everybody. He was like, "Yeah, I knew you would say that," and then and then explain how he knew it. And you're just like, oh, "This guy's brilliant." Well, yeah. So he he seems unassuming to a large degree. Um, for for most of the uh, most of the story, but then towards the end when you start seeing him because this guy's a commander right yeah, you know uh, yeah. in starfleet intelligence so that's pretty senior 
Uh, and the idea that he's got this, like, pretty much unassuming, oh, I'm just an analyst kind of thing. Uh, no. He's actually a, a very smart bad, bad butt. Bad ASS. Yeah, and uh, and the idea and, and this general, even though he's older, he, he's pretty well built. He's this guy's in shape, and right. the and the idea that uh, Ortiz is able to uh, take him out and be very confident he can take him out because that's part of his plan is uh, it's pretty good. Right. Now you called him Ortiz. Why did you do that? Oh, uh, that's his first name. Oh, is it Ortiz Sherrod? Ah, I didn't. O R T E E S, Sherrod. Um, yeah. So I, I, I love this one. This was great. Loved it. Yep. No, I, I liked it a lot too. I, I liked it. I didn't really care for it at the beginning. I was just like, okay, I'm just going. This guy's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and then it wasn't until he's like, basically, you know, I don't know if you read the Star Wars books, but there's a Grand Admiral Thrawn who's mm-hmm. always like one step ahead of everybody mm-hmm. else. Then this guy is just like, oh my God, he's he's been playing him the whole time. Even his even his college sweetheart is just like she's just a pawn in his game that, that he knew that he would eventually get to General Covan and take him out. Right. And he used apparently well, I think they said it, some old, you know, dueling kind of way, traditional way to settle arguments or whatever of honor or whatever right and he he used that to the fullest and and he knew exactly what he was doing when he when he asked for that right and even though he probably the general probably could have had the um the girlfriend uh fight for him he knew he'd be able to goad the uh general into fighting himself right yep well played well played. But how many other commanders, three pip commanders, are on the Enterprise? Aside from well, right. To... <laughs> I mean, and, and Troy at the end, and and Krugman well, and Star Trek. I mean, <laughs> wasn't everybody a commander by Star well, Trek were... Six? Oh, 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 in Star Trek Six. Well, yeah, oh, I'm just Spock saying. Was a captain. <laughs> what? So Spock and Kirk were both captains. Yep. Which I always thought was funny. Yep. Anyway, yes. Yeah, there, there aren't that many. Right. But of course, I mean, he was just on the Enterprise temporarily. I mean, he was from was some it? other ship. Okay. Wasn't he? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think he just took... Uh, so that he could get to He England. applied for leave. Um, and maybe... I don't remember this exactly, but he may not have been a ship-based uh, Starfleet guy. I mean, he was a you know, Starfleet intelligence analyst. Oh, okay, yeah, so, it does say that he put in for some leave and was able to just ride ride with Enterprise. Okay. Right, since the All Enterprise right. was well, heading to Enderia. Right. He's just hanging out. Exactly. All right, I missed that the first time. Yeah, and of course all this is is in alignment with the, I, I think I think it's all alternate dimension, or not, not ultimate, expanded universe, I should say. So there's a bunch of Typhon Pack novels. Um, right. That talked about you know uh, the Andori Andoria's uh, seceding from the Federation and all their internal reproductive issues and whatever. Um, right. So this this kind of plays into that. 
which I thought was great. Since right. this itself is expanded universe. So Yeah, and I was wondering about the, and I didn't do any research, um, but I was just trying to go off memory and it and it failed me. Mm-hmm. But the I know that in the books they really dive into the reproductive, you know, you needed four four mm-hmm. four Andorians to make one right. kind of thing. Um but I know that in Enterprise uh Shrek has has a daughter. And okay. so I was wondering, did they mention it there that, uh, you know, because we met the mom or what we assumed was the mom. Um, I mean, because she's one of those Aeneers, those white, uh, white-skinned uh, subspecies of Andorians. Ah, so I don't remember that detail. Okay, yeah. So I just remember her and mm-hmm. I remember him and they got together and then like the next season they have a baby mm-hmm. and uh, and then... But I don't remember them talking about, you know, there was two other Andorians involved. But I do know those books because in the Deep Space Nine books, uh, I forgot his name. But there's a there's an Andorian serving on the Enterprise. And 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 I know that 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 was kind of the whole setup of the Typhon pack thing. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, but they definitely mentioned it here that it takes four to make a baby. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd never read the Typhon Pact ones, but there were other books I read that referred back to it that had Typhon Pact as a, um, I think, was it one of the Titan books? I'm not sure. Right. But uh, well, definitely in the Coda books, they even kind of brought it up once, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. So in 2382, due to an ongoing reproductive crisis on the planet, that the revelation that the Federation had information that could lead to a scientific breakthrough, what, that that the Federation didn't share with them? uh, I'm just reading this from a... a, uh, Right, and I know uh, that that from the Kodo books, um, Bashir mentions that, you know, he's kind of fallen out of favor with the Federation because he helped the Andorians. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but why but would the Federation? Why would the Federation be, would be motivated not to share something that would help uh, a founding member of the Federation with uh, well performance issues? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I guess we yeah. won't know until we read that. But it's not part of the official Star Trek uh, canon continuity anymore. canon. Yeah. So I guess it may not matter that much. And and we both called Jeffrey Combs' character Shrek. His name is Shran. Shran. <laughs> Got that wrong. Yeah. Okay, Shran. When thank you, said Shrek, thank you for like, finding yeah. that. I was like, yeah, that's right. And then I was like, oh, is it right? No, it's Shran. Okay. Yeah, so he isn't a big green ogre? <laughs> no. <laughs> and he does marry a, uh, a Nar named Talia. And they have a baby. So... I I, I kind of looked it up on memory beta. Okay. They don't mention another couple involved. So I don't really, because I haven't read the Typhon Pact, mm-hmm. I don't really know how that works. Right. Maybe an Anar and a Andorian coupling is different than a, a four-way Andorian coupling. I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Don't really know. Because how would that work? So you biologically need to have some involvement from the other two? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Maybe okay. we should read those books. 
Maybe, maybe. I do always like when Andorians are brought into new media, mm-hmm. which which version of the Andorians they're going to use, whether the antenna come off the forehead or the back of the head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems that the front of the head is kind of the standard the now. norm now. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the art artwork then. Okay. So, art from an art standpoint, they they chose to go from the front of the head antennae, which is more in alignment with Enterprise. Yep, that's definitely the Enterprise look. Okay, so that's a more modern look as opposed right. to more retro Taws or whatever. Okay, um, I, there are parts of the artwork that are a little cartoony and uh, in two different ways. So in one way, it looks a little manga. And at other times, it almost looks a little Disney-esque. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's one in particular where uh, Ortiz is with his family and, and there's like, like the little sister's going to get the door or something. And yeah. she's going off to do, to do that and it looks like she's pulling her chair back or something. And so she's a little further away. And, and the look on her face and the smile and everything, that just screams manga in my head. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of manga in it. Right, like Even okay. in, er, earlier in that issue, or that picture, mm-hmm. that page, mm-hmm. when he's choking after they ask mm-hmm. him about, mm-hmm. when are you yes. going to get settled down? Yeah, with the big purple so, lips and spitting it, out food. It, instead of like red cheeks, like a human... Uh, he's got like pink, pink cheeks, purple cheek, purple, purple purple pink, something like that. Yeah. That now, now that's kind of over the top too. And uh, yeah, that was kind of, that was kind (laughs) of, so where was the Disney influence? Okay. Well, look at the, the one I was talking about before where the girl is, um, pulling her chair back. So the uncle or whatever that other guy is brother, I'm not sure what he is. Um, is speaking. He's got a word balloon. Um, mm-hmm. And the look in his face, where he's kind of like looking off to the left and up in the air, he's got that little cockeyed smile and stuff. Um, just reminds me of Bashful the Dwarf in the uh, Snow White. <laughs> okay. And I actually went out and found the picture, uh, and I've got it in my notes. But it just, it just reminded me of it. And maybe that's just yeah, me. I can see that. Maybe it's just me, but it just—it was just like it's an interesting, interesting variety of styles being brought to bear. I thought, right? Yeah, I definitely saw the the manga influence throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not see a Disney influence, but but I see what you're saying on that one picture, right? But overall, I liked it. I mean, it told the story and. It didn't distract from the story. It didn't distract me, at least. No, no, it was a it was a choice they made. I mean, some some art styles are a little bit more towards realistic, uh, and some aren't. And this kind of none of this is overly realistic looking, but uh, but there are parts where it's fairly realistic looking, uh, right? And then there's others that are very fanciful, right? Which is also a style for manga right you mm-hmm. have one page that looks very cartoony and the next page is super super serious and right detailed. right there you go so the you mentioned the knife that they use 
the Andorians use? Right. Well, what's it called again? It is called. I have to write it down because. Okay. <laughs> you, you you haven't memorized it like a Doctor or a Batleth. Yeah, I haven't memorized those either, really. I know what I know, no, when you know what they are. When you say what they are, I know what you're talking about. But okay. I probably couldn't pull Doctor out of my butt if I needed to. <laughs> uh, this one is called the uh, uh, Yushan Tor. Yushan Tor. Yeah, which cool. we saw in Enterprise. Right, okay. And, and I didn't remember it from Enterprise, but that makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Now, when I saw this and the knife, it was like, oh, cool. It's kind of like a, you know, it's a cool little knife weapon that somebody came up with at some point. But, but this is a, an Andorian one. And when I looked at it, it's like, oh, that looks like an Alaskan Ulu. A little bit. Mm. Only more badass. Yes, that's uh, that's one that the natives used mm-hmm. for like whaling and stuff, or what? Well, or... they um, they use it to, pre- to prepare food. So there's like a bowl that goes with it. So there's kind of like mm. a, a stone bowl of some kind, and then you've got this uh, this curved knife, which has a wood handle, typically wood or bone or some kind of handle on it, and um, and then you just use it in the bowl it's curved on the bottom so it kind of fits the contour of the bowl and you can use it to like chop things up and 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 it goes over your knuckles like that it goes over your knuckles like that so it's not as wide it's not as long so this is long and uh of course it's got the serrated blade the ulus are just a it's just a normal you know curved smooth blade hey that's really cool yeah uh, having been to Alaska a few times, uh, that this is one of the things you always see in the uh, novel or in the uh, tourist yeah, the su- store, souvenir store. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Always see it. Here, well, you can't go back t- from Alaska without taking an ulu with you. Yeah, Alaska's on my bucket list. One of these days, I do want to get out there. It's pretty cool. It's pretty nice. Definitely a nice place uh, in the summer. Not so much in the winter? Uh, well, no. <laughs> in a word. Even Juneau, which is, you know, doesn't get that, that bad uh, weather-wise, still much better to go there in the summer. Right. There's just more stuff happening. All right, anything else to say? I think that's it. That's all I have to say. I don't, I don't really have anything Really else. enjoyed it. That cuff thing, the the chain to the person you're fighting with okay. knives. Okay, mm-hmm. Um, have we seen that in Star Trek before? Because that giant cuff looked kind of familiar. Well, I know that kind of thing um, definitely is, has been in other stories. Right. Uh, in Star Trek itself, uh, I don't know. I, it's not coming to mind. Okay. All right. It was just but maybe. the cuff thing looked very familiar. And I the was cuff like, itself. Hey, maybe we've seen that before. Um, mm. Maybe we've seen this fight type before. I don't know. Um, but Well, okay. if it was... Um, Maybe if what we saw before, right, if what we saw before was an Andorian fight, then it would have had to have been an Enterprise. Right. I need to, I need to rewatch that. I find that uh, the stuff I watched as a kid, I remember mm-hmm. really well, and the stuff I watch as an adult, not so well. <laughs> and, and I've been trying to figure out why that is. Is it just because I've seen the old stuff more, and so therefore it sticks better? Or is it because I'm just 
don't remember as well as I used to. <laughs> um, I thought this was a no. I thought this was like a given thing. But when we're young, and especially when we're kids, we are sponges that remember everything. And then as we age, eh, we're not as good with the uh, retention. So that's Except why kid stuff. I can remember the kids stuff really well. Well, exactly, because that's back when your brain was nice and young and able to form great long term memories. <laughs> and as you get older, the ability to create long term memory uh, decreases quite a bit. Oh, there you go. Well, that must be it. At least I know in my case that that's the case. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on? The next one we're doing is Star Trek New Visions. Um from volume five and uh this is more of the serpent than the dove is the name published date i've got is august 2017 the photo montage and story by john byrne editor chris Ryal. collection edits justin ice icinger and alonzo simon collection design uh gilberto Lascano and publisher is Ted Adams. Now, okay, what I think is the cover, um, it's the only, at least I think it's the cover, but it doesn't have, I don't think this is a finished cover because it's it's from a collection of some kind and in this particular image I've got doesn't have the titles or anything like that. But I'm going to explain what I think is the cover. And then... Donovan can let me know how I'm off. Anywho, we got a nice little combination of uh, still images, mostly, from the uh, from Taws. So in the middle, we got a big old Gorn. Uh, and this, of course, looks like the one that Kirk fought. And he's just looking out. He's got his jaws open, and he's got the teeth and everything. So he looks like like he's dangerous. And above him, and it looks like it's coming out of his head like a, like a growth... <laughs> But it's actually a ship. Uh, so it's a green Gorn ship, apparently. And that's in a, in a star field. Then to the left and right of the Gorn, we've got uh, Kirk and Spock to the left. And we've got Scotty and McCoy to the right. On the bottom, we have uh, a nice little shot of the Enterprise uh, with a sun behind it. I, at least I assume it's a sun. Um, and then we've got a, uh, an inset of the bridge during one of the uh, many times in Taws where apparently the inertial dampeners weren't working and the actors were throwing themselves across the, uh, the stage. And then there's a last little bit of something which I can't even see. It's so small. Anyway, so, um, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's nice. Um, yeah. The Enterprise rendezvous with... A Gorn ship at the edge of Gorn space. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are in dress uniforms in the transporter room when they meet a Gorn ambassador and her delegation. Scotty is not happy about having an honor guard in the transporter room when the Gorn arrive. He calls them murderers. Scotty also objects to the way the Gorn ambassador pronounces the word mercy. Which is which the ambassador overhears and gets in Scotty's face over. Oh my word, Gorn breath. I mean, she's like really in Scotty's face. The ambassador comments on the cold temperatures the ship is capped at. 
Kirk shows her to her quarters that he says is set to a temperature that is 70 degrees warmer for their comfort. Kirk and his senior officer, Honor Guard, leave the Gorn delegation to retire to their quarters for now until 1800 hours when they will be escorted to the bridge for an official communication. Scotty continues to complain about the Gorn getting a ride on the Enterprise rather than one of their own ships. Spock replies that there are Gorn factions that oppose the Federation Treaty. Kirk says both governments agree that the fewer Gorn involved, the less likely sabotage will take place. Unfortunately, uh, a three-Gorn party is apparently still too large because one of them is indeed a saboteur that employs the famous Gorn stealth and concealment talents to travel across the ship unnoticed where they finally pla- or that where the person finally plants a green colored rectangular device with three Gorn character readouts on it a countdown timer it turns out to be Later, at 1800 hours, the Gorn diplomatic party arrive on the bridge just when Chekhov, Sulu, and Ohura all report system failures. Sulu reports they are picking up speed. Scotty says the engines are building to an overload that will blow within an hour given the rate of buildup. The ambassador says there is a Gorn sabotage device that causes similar malfunctions on ships. Scotty heads down to engineering to see if he can shut down the buildup from there. One of the Gorn delegates is an engineer who might be able to help, so the ambassador orders him to join Mr. Scott. In engineering, Scotty tells one of his people to shunt the excess power through the auxiliary servos, but the Gorn engineer says, No! with feeling. Mr. Scott is not amused. Sulu says he can't alter the ship's course, So at their increasing speed, he estimates they will plow directly into Copernicus Major in less than 15 minutes. Spock warns his instruments are showing rapidly increasing stress on the ship's superstructure that is exceeding design specifications. The ambassador warns that is how the weapon works. It is sending shifting contrary stress waves throughout the ship with the intent of tearing it apart. One of Scotty's engineers reports hull integrity at breaking point on Deck 5. Despite attempts to reinforce the hull with with the deflector field, the hull gives way and ejects at least a half dozen of the crew out into the icy embrace of the black. The Gorn engineer finally tells Scotty there is no way to deal with the device's deleterious effects all over the ship so the only thing they can do is to locate the device and disable it. But he warns, whoever finds it cannot touch it and must wait until he can get to it. Despite the hopeless odds of finding a relatively small device hidden in a large ship, the frantic search begins. As if things cannot get worse, McCoy reports sickbay is up to 100 degrees temperature. Spock says life support has been taken over by the device, and it's turning up the heat. Spock reports now the ship can be torn to pieces, or its occupants cooked to death, or the entire ship will be vaporized when it impacts with a star. The only hope is Scotty and Gorn locating and turning off that device. 
Scotty attempts to implement a suggestion by the Gorn engineer, but the attempt shocks Scotty and renders his hands temporarily useless. Scotty must trust the Gorn to make the changes required, even if the Gorn engineer could be a saboteur. On the bridge, everyone has succumbed to the heat except for Kirk, Spock, and the two Gorn. Spock reports four minutes before they pass the point of no return. Working together and trying a harebrained Gorn idea, Scotty and the Gorn are able to start returning control over systems to the crew. Life support starts to cool the ship. Engines come under control, but not helm yet, so they cannot steer. They are so close to that star. Finally, Sula reports he has helm control back and turns the ship just in the nick of time. Huzzah! But wait! They are so close to the star that Sulu finds he cannot break the ship free of its gravity well. Spock calculates by driving the engines to 120%, they can break free of the star's gravitational pull. Kirk orders Sulu to make it happen. Scotty protests putting the engines under so much strain. They break free of the gravity well, and more and more systems return to normal. With the disaster averted, Kirk turns his attention to the Ambassador and the identity of the saboteur. The Ambassador turns to her right-hand lizard, Sarkos, who she says must be the saboteur since Anstas clearly cleared himself by his actions to disable the device. Sarkos tries to attack the Ambassador, but a speedy red shirt stuns Sarkos with a quick phaser blast. Kirk calls down to Scotty for a report. Scotty reports systems are back under control, but it will take about 38 hours to repair the damage. Scotty finishes his report to Kirk and turns to the Goran engineer. Scotty says that was one of the finest pieces of engineering he has ever witnessed and apologizes to the Gorn for being insulting earlier. Scotty says if there's anything he can do, you just name it. The Gorn says after a stressful day like today, he would very much want a stiff drink. Scotty looks at the Gorn and considers adoption. The end. Yeah, that's love in his eyes for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like how it ends. Yeah. Yeah, for being such a butthead throughout the whole issue. You ain't kidding. <laughs> changes his tune. He does oh, change his tune. you talking about drink? Oh. Oh, you're an alcoholic too? Great. Let's have some scotch. Yeah. So talking about the cover, yeah, the, every cover I've seen of the Humble humble Bundle mm-hmm. um, issue is that cover, except it has... Star Trek New Visions, okay. more of the more text. rainbow at the top. So okay. you can't really even see that that ship's coming out of the back of the Gorn's head. <laughs> okay. So aside from that, exactly the same. Cool. Okay. So I'd like it. Uh, it was all right. Yeah. Yeah. I like seeing the different uh, Gorns and how John Byrne, knowing that John Byrne only had the one Gorn to work with, you know, he was able to make a little Gorn, a big Gorn, the red-crested Gorn. Uh, I was pretty impressed with <laughs> how he was able to make them all look different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so to that point, 
when they come, when they transport over, they come off the uh, the transporter pad. You see Forgorn, and I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't sure whether he was just reusing original pictures of the Gorn that Kirk fought with, or whether these. I mean, whether he was able to get a few cosplay people in there, or what exactly was going on. But mm. he did put. He did put like. Uh, like necklaces and clo- different colored clothing to help differentiate him, and then the redhead of the um, of the Gorn ambassador, so you always knew who she was. Right. Uh, so yeah, I agree. That's pretty cool how he was able to make him differentiate it. But I got a question on the uh, on that one, like the attaché or whatever, the the assistant who I guess yeah. ends up being the bad guy. When he's coming off the pad, he looks smaller than the rest now he's stepping down so i get that but he still looks smaller than the rest like almost like he's a baby gorn or a or a teenage gorn or something right and there's a there's a page on page 134 of the graphic novel okay uh she's talking to him and he looks really small there too like right like he only comes up to her chin maybe okay okay so i don't know I, i thought the same thing about is he supposed to be that much smaller right so you you know what he reminded me of? Uh, Go ahead, a, guess, guess. A baby dinosaur? I don't know. Oh. Land of the Lost. Oh, uh, uh, uh. What? Baby Godzilla. Ah. Uh. And of course, I had to go out and, and find a picture of Baby Godzilla. Now, and, which Baby uh, Godzilla are you talking about? The real the old baby one. Godzilla or the or the Melia son of Godzilla? I don't know what that is. That second one is. All I know is that there's a really old like 60s or 70s, really old Godzilla movie that I watched yeah. when I was a teenager or Son something. Son of Godzilla, yeah. There you go. And and you got the cute little Godzilla there, and he's he's yeah. trying to breathe fire, and he just gets like, uh, what, smoke rings? Yeah, and he gets stumped <laughs> on the tail, and he shoots it out. Right. <laughs> His name is not Baby Godzilla. His name is Minya. Okay. Later, there is a Baby Godzilla, which is a true... Baby Godzilla. Okay. Baby so who's Godzilla. this guy? This is a Gorn. What are you talking about? No, no. <laughs> Man, yeah, he's just a... Godzilla just finds his egg in that movie and kind of... Oh, okay. ...under his wing. Okay, so... It's a, so, it's a, it's a baby whatever species Godzilla is, but it's not... I don't think it's... It not is. fruit of... of it's not <laughs> fruit of Godzilla's loins. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if they're the same species. Well, come on! He's, he's trying to... Breathe fire and stuff. Come on, that had to be of the King same Dora species. Can shoot fire too? That doesn't make him Godzilla. Okay, did, did you? What was the name of the movie that he was in? Son of Godzilla. Uh huh. <laughs> I think I rest yes, my case. I I get what you're saying. There's also Godzuki, which was from the cartoon. Oh my god! Well, I, I did see a lot of cartoon um, things when I did a search. Yeah, and I just I looked at the images, and it's like, what is all this animated stuff? Because <laughs> Godzuki, yeah, okay. Godzuki, he was from the Hanna Barbera uh, Godzilla show. Oh, there was a wow! I just I just missed so much in my life. Mm-hmm. There was a Hanna Barbera Godzilla show, right? Oh my gosh, I had no idea. It was about the same time that Marvel had Godzilla in the Marvel universe, so there was an ongoing Godzilla series where you know. He was fighting Iron Man and stuff like that. Oh, okay. 
uh, yeah, crossovers. That's, that's, you sent me a picture, and and that is Minya. The, okay, the little the little, the little son guy. of Godzilla guy, the little cute guy. Yeah, he's like which, jumping up and down, getting so frustrated because he's he the Jar Jar Binks of the Godzilla universe. <laughs> you look at him; he's so cute. Yeah, there's 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 movies where he grows really big and uh-huh. he shrinks really small. So sometimes he's like the size of a little kid yeah. in some movies, and then he'll grow really big to try to get Godzilla to stop fighting or whatever. Oh, it's horrible. He can control his size that way. Yeah, and then sometimes it's just a dream. Sometimes it's not. It's really stupid. It's messy. Like okay. I said, he's the Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> he's he's the character we don't talk about. Okay, that's okay. why they has a real son of Godzilla later. Oh, okay. And he's called Godzilla Jr. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of creativity in that name. <laughs> oh, anyways, but yes, I see what you're saying about him being little, but I don't okay. see the. I don't think he looks like Minya at all. I, all I'm saying is, it reminded me of Baby Godzilla. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Yeah, big rubber suit on a dude. That's exactly. Small. There you go. That must that's be it. it. And they're both <laughs> supposed to be lizards, right? That's true. That's true. So, just gotta say. Okay, so okay, so Gorns weren't inspired by Godzilla, were they? No, I don't. I don't think so. so. Okay, good. So, speaking of Gorns, uh, isn't it great how that one Gorn was able to stealthily move through the Enterprise and no one noticed him? Right. And there's a there's a great little little thing that. That Byrne puts together where it looks like there's some kind of a uh, uh, an opening into a room with a like a red collar around it, then a then a a yellow ladder, and right. you just see the very stealthy uh, Gorn, which is the last thing Gorns are stealthy, uh, kind of his head sticking up a little bit. Oh, is anybody in there? I got <laughs> I got to be stealthy. It's funny. I find it right. funny. It is funny. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't have a red crest, so you knew immediately that it wasn't the ambassador. Right. Right. Now the um I mean and now if this is the Kelvin universe Gorn, I think there are some Gorns that are like chameleons that can turn invisible. Now those could sneak on. Oh my gosh. I mean, they made them so powerful in the uh in the Kelvin comic books. Yeah. Fast. You know, fast, strong Ripping apart claws. I mean, the human would have no chance about to, against them. Um, and it, w- w- were they invisible? Uh, in the video game, I think there was. Oh, in the video game. Okay. Ones. Okay. Okay. Fine. I I didn't get far enough in that game <laughs> to, to to experience that. There were too many uh, puzzles. I did, just really just didn't have the time for. Uh, but uh, but no, I really didn't like the whole uh, Scotty's xenophobic, and then mm-hmm. he has to partner up with him because his hands got burnt, and oh, this guy's this guy, I have to trust this guy, and he ends up being great. So maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong being a xenophobic. I mean, I get I get the story, but I just I don't know. I thought it was a little ham fisted. Yeah, it was. I mean, but, we've seen we've seen this a thousand times, uh, and mine. Um, just a thousand different stories are like this. Right. So in John Byrne's defense, 100% felt like a, a Taz episode. Mm-hmm. This really felt like it could have been a 60s episode. Mm-hmm. I agree. Which I think is what John Byrne was going for. So 100% back him up. A 60s episode, but with some J.J. Abrams-style 
spectacle. Oh, yeah, where? Well, where deck five blows out. Oh, you see the people flying And you see like six (laughs) little black silhouettes of human beings flying out with explosive decompression. That's J.J. Abrams' bling, baby. And nobody mentions it. Nobody says we've lost so many people. Yeah. They're just like, oh, there's there's a the bulkheads aren't closing, so we have to do it manually. Okay, what about how many people got sucked out and died? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah, I but 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 visually, how we put it together, just just screams to me um, with those those scenes on the Kelvin. Right. No, I totally no. Yeah, when, when now that you pointed it out, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. It looks good. He did a good job. He always does. He he always does. You're right. These always look good. I yeah. think. Yeah. So does any of the Gorn wearing um, Klingon uniform? Klingon? Where? Yeah, like like I don't know that little pattern. Is it one that we've seen Klingons wear before? They're little tunics. The, the fabric. Yeah. Yeah, that has like almost like an outlook. Uh, f- carpet look to it, right, right, right. In the shining, uh, yeah. I, I, I thought it looked. Is, I thought that was a little bit like uh, the Taws one, the, the guy that Kirk fought. No, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I just know that uh, when Migo released the Gorn action figure, oh yeah, they just they just put it on. He was wearing the Klingon tunic. Oh really? And so when I was seeing these four, I was like. I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be just kind of reminiscent of what the Gorn wore or if maybe John Byrne was trying to make a nod to the, the Migo action figure. Oh, maybe he was. Oh, interesting. Because I know thought. he likes to do that kind of stuff. Right. Okay, so I'm looking at a picture from Taz, and uh, he's got – that's the same outfit. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at the Migo Gorn in, in – He's his outfit is very Klingon with the, like the looks like it's made out of leather. Oh, oh, so, okay. Yeah. I I see the Amigo uh, Sci-Fi Star Trek Gorn figure. Yeah, which he's wearing uh, normal clothes. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of like um, it's kind of like uh, it's not quite what the Taz wore the the Taz version wore, but it's close. Well, make wow. sure you're looking at the 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 old one and not the newer ones, because oh. Mingo has released newer ones where they're wearing more closer to what they what he actually looked like. Okay, this must be a new one. Yeah, look at the 1974 one. Uh, okay. Or the 1960 something one. It doesn't matter. We're off on a tangent. I think we're off on a tangent. Um, but yeah, maybe. maybe yeah, now that I've looked at it, I don't think that's the case. But it would have been cool if he did. Especially after reading these other two kind of fan service stories that we'll do here in a minute. It would have been really cool if one of these Gorns shown up wearing the Migo outfit. Right. <laughs> cool. Uh, now, didn't. as I was doing searches for Gorn stuff, pictures and things, mm-hmm. I ran across uh, a little video, which must have been for an ad that I never saw. Where it's... Where Shatner's playing the video game with the Gorn? Exactly, with the Gorn. Uh, I love that so much. <laughs> and so I, I didn't see the whole thing, but I saw enough of it where it ends, where you know they get into an argument over something, and then Shatner puts down his controller and goes, not again. Yeah, I thought that was great. Start, 
No, they actually start fighting. Oh, they actually like, show they it? They go that far? They move really slow. And he's like dodging really slow and he punches him really slow. It's hilarious. It, okay, so, it's so it, is that a commercial? Yeah, it was a commercial for the video game. The, okay, the I got Kelvin, it. The Kelvin Universe Star Trek video game. Okay, I got to go back and see the full thing then. Yeah, you need to watch it. It's great. Okay. okay. That, the, the little snippet I saw was pretty funny, but what you're describing sounds even better. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's great. Okay. So how'd you like the actual uh, Doomsday device? What, the little... The little... The green thing with the three displays? <laughs> it reminded me of the Predator's armband. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. But, uh, so was... it just has a bunch of sticks, you know, vertical, horizontal, little different length sticks, that as the countdown kept going, there'd be fewer little symbols in the three windows. Because so. that's not, they're not sticks. That's their language. That's very Calling them sticks. I think there's, that's their numeric system. I don't think that's their language. You don't I know. I think that's their numeric system. It's a countdown timer. I don't know. It looked a lot like the Predator language, though, too. I think you're, uh, wasn't the Predator thing more, a little bit less little pill-shaped symbols and more like, well, like they long, were elongated triangles or something? Just like you, like you like to point out, sticks and dots. That's, that's what it was. Okay, fine. Whatever. Okay, <laughs> fine, fine. But yeah, that's what I was getting. I was like, oh, it's the Predator thing. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, how it could infect the ship with virus that would take over like this, uh, I didn't. Oh, it's ridiculous. I didn't see how that was possible. No, but of course not. Again, uh, but using that's... my 60s Star Trek logic, I'm like, all right, makes sense. Just go with it. Look, they made it do whatever it had to do for the story, <laughs> no matter whether it made any sense or not. Right. Yeah, and so... It's perfect. So, um, what's perfect? The logic. Ah! Logic it's, sucks. It's logic, but, perfect logic for Star Trek. Uh, fine, fine, whatever. But the main point is, it, it takes over systems. I mean... If a Gorn developed a system or a device that could do it to a Gorn ship, they know enough about Gorn ships, they could probably make that happen. But to an, uh, a Starfleet ship? I mean, how do they know enough about a Starfleet ship to do that? I mean, isn't this thing only, is this thing kind of get, bypassing all of the, um, the command codes and stuff that are supposed to stop devices from taking over automation on a starship? Right. It's just... Mm. You think there would be firewalls and stuff? Yeah. You'd think... Wouldn't you think? Anyway. Again, just go with it. Exactly. Okay. I did like how the, the again, the artwork, um, I mean, just the lighting. I mean, like when, when Scotty's getting shocked, I mean, the lighting is so much different on the Gorn in that panel than it is in other panels. So, I mean, I just amazed at how, how John Byrne can do this stuff. Exactly. A lot of good detail. And I have more to talk about comments like that in the next issues. Okay. So. All right. Well, I don't really have anything else to, about this issue. Do you? I do you not. Have? I'm done. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then we'll move on to the next ones. Cool. Uh, we'll, we'll do these in the order in which they were released. Mm -hmm. uh, they're both a little comedic. So they, 
a little tongue in cheek on these, I think. So not, you're not supposed to take them too seriously. But uh, the first one was Star Trek uh, New Visions, Eye of the Beholder. This was released as part of a backup story in New Visions Volume 2 uh, graphic novel, which collected a bunch of the, the monthly issues. And it came out June 2015. So Kirk beams over to the Enterprise, and things seem slightly off. For one, the transporter room looks nothing like the Taz transporter room. Instead, it's huge with what looks like just one giant transporter pad and maybe even like glass surrounding it. it it's a little unclear. Uh, Spock's there to greet him, but here his ears are much, much larger than a normal Vulcan's uh, size. Uh, almost, not quite, but almost to Yoda territory. A little startled by all this, Kirk says Scotty needs to look into the transport since that seemed a little rough. With that, Spock orders a gruff-looking man in a yellow shirt uh, to start doing exactly what the captain orders, and he calls him Scotty. Though we know that this blonde guy is not our Scotsman. Seems that things are just a little off here. So Kirk comments how rough the Enterprise is acting, and Spock points out that it's just the normal rockets shooting out of the nacelles and engineering section, and he's starting to wonder why Kirk is acting so weird. They make their way to a very odd configured bridge where Sulu is about to blast the planet, or actually he is doing it. Sulu is blasting a planet from orbit to prevent any possible threats ever coming from this planet again. Kirk is appalled, and he tries to stop it. Uh, the crew has now stopped taking orders from him since he's acting so weird. And then Kirk grabs a phaser, and he destroys Sulu's console. The console explodes, knocking Kirk out cold, who later awakens in sickbay. Now things seem to be a little normal. Spock has normal ears, and McCoy is talking about how Kirk was attacked on the planet by some rebels and was able to be beamed up. Kirk chalks up his gold key adventure to some sort of fever dream, and he kind of laughs it off. He and Spock make their way to the turbo lift to the bridge, and when Kirk steps out, everything is now 2D and in the style of Filmation's The Animated Series. The end. Question mark? <laughs> this, is, this is total fan service. I love it. Loved seeing the Enterprise with the uh, <laughs> the fire coming out. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's, it, it's a photorealistic Enterprise, but with fire coming out of the engineering and the cells. Exactly. So, well, so great. Exactly. So the, the shuttle bay is ejecting thrust, which is funny. Right. Which is definitely a gold key thing. Totally. Okay. So when I was reading this, I didn't know what the full thing was. I didn't know, uh, I, I, I had not read this one before, obviously. And I knew you had mentioned to me what it was probably weeks before I picked this up and finally, uh, finally read it. So at first, I did not, when, and the transporter room was like, oh, this is weird. But I didn't remember it was Gold Key. And so I kept on going, it's like, huh. And then as soon as I saw, was it the second page? Right. Um, at the, near the top? When they, they showed the Enterprise with the thrust coming out of three places, it's like, oh my god, yeah, this is the gold key one. I knew immediately. 
<laughs> so earlier in it, I mean, there were, there were hints all over the place, right? Um, but no, that, that sealed the deal. I knew what it was then immediately. Right. And then the shot of the Enterprise just blasting away at the planet really reminded me of, of issue number one of the gold key, which is the... the ah, what's Sentient plants. Yeah, the plants, where they have to basically Plant sterilize planet. the whole planet yeah. from orbit. Right. To keep those spores from hurting any other ship. Right. Yeah. Well done, John Bird, for this one. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And everybody's so nonchalant about destroying the planet. Why is Kirk acting weird? <laughs> yeah. So when the first page, you pointed out uh, Spock ears. Yes. Being big and kind of pointing backwards a little bit. Right. Yeah. With a lot of cartilage, so it really looks like Yoda ears. Uh-huh. Exactly. And then calling Kyle Scotty, that was another hint. Um, getting people's names wrong. In general, in the drawing of them. Okay. Um, See, I didn't recognize that that was Kyle, so I just yeah. thought it was, you know, you some was blonde guy, some blonde guy in the wrong colored shirt. So oh, okay, being okay. called Scotty. Yeah. But but you mentioned that you knew you recognize him from as being Kyle from the original series, right? Cool. Um, but but some of the things like like the transporter pad being like just like like felt a big. A big red felt disc with some kind of a dimpled metal ring around it. I don't remember that per se. Oh, in Gold Key? Yeah. In Gold Key. But, you know, if I went back to them, I'd probably, like, match them immediately. And then the, uh... Yeah, I mean, there were bits about the transporter room that did not sing... That did not say to me Gold Key. Right. Well, one thing should have triggered you right away, aside from Spock's giant ears, is his dialogue box. Uh, yes. It's square, just like gold keys were always square. Oh, okay. So Kirk has a normal round comic book dialogue box, but mm-hmm. any all the other characters have the square one, which oh. was indicative of the gold key. So, yeah, I, I didn't notice that in this issue. But good point. But that's another good, subtle hint that everything is not... As they appear to be. And Rand is wearing that weird hat over her bun that she ah, had ah, That's another good one. <laughs> so so this is like spot all the weird stuff. Right, right. Exactly. So she never wore, well, what could only be described as a, uh, a, wool, a red wool hat over yeah, her bun. Yeah, it looks bun. like a giant thimble over her head. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Which she did have when she was being attacked by the, uh, the alien plants. <laughs> Okay, so the bridge, did you mention the bridge? Uh, I just very mentioned okay. that it's oddly shaped. Very oddly shaped. So it's basically, it looks pretty much rectangular, right? Right, yeah. So instead of being round, it's rectangular, and it, it's long width-wise. Right, um, and there's no captain's chair. No, not at all. Not at all. But look at that big, uh, you know, what, 65-inch plasma TV in the wall? Nice. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty cool. And then um, Spock draw pulls out a uh, cage phaser, right? Or a laser? I'm not. I don't remember whether they called them lasers or phasers. Yeah, they called but... them lasers. So uh, that was interesting that that he chose a 
Cage, first pilot, phaser, laser, to use because one great thing about Gold Key is their endless variety of ways they drew phasers. Right. And nine times out of ten, they would color them red. Right. Now, I was, was kind of hoping that, that he would have just put a different gun in there altogether. I, I agree. I wish he would have put... Um, you know, like some of the some of the different wacky designs that they had, but make it red, <laughs> make it red, burn, make it red. That would have been yeah, funny. so I went in, I went and looked at some of the old issues, and I saw that in in some cases they've got phasers that look almost like a like a conventional gun with a few doodads put on it. So exactly. yeah. you know, it's it's it looks like a normal grip in the back. You know. Or directly underneath the back of the gun, so not push forward, and it's got the little the little little sight thing that pops up, which is just like a little elongated uh, cone with a little dot on top, and it just it just looks like it just looks like a, a Walther P thirty eight with a few little tweaks to it, right? Um, and then other ones, they again have it situated more towards the back of the handle. Um, but that it doesn't doesn't really look like anything that I've ever seen before in Star Trek. Um, there is, though, I gotta say it. There is one shot that I saw in issue forty-one of Gold Key that Scotty's holding a phaser, and it looks pretty good, pretty accurate. So it looks like a a Taz phaser. So hmm. I don't want to say that they could never get it right. It's just that they almost never did. <laughs> All right. Another thing that, that told me so, there was something rotten in Denmark is where you hear um, Spock say things like, <laughs> thank the nine spears, which right. I always love that. The, and then, yeah. And then Sulu at one time says, great galaxies, Mr. Spock. Exactly. It's so great. Uh, I loved it. So when I, when I first, the first weird thing I read was thank the nine spears out of Spock's mouth. And right away I was like, what, what is he, Dr. Lazarus? <laughs> by Grephthar's hammer, and but, but then as I saw more of it, yeah, that's they did that kind of crap all the time, in, right? In and then he also refers to his biological mind. Mm. <laughs> to my logical mind, it says blah 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 blah, mm. which was so gold key gold used key. way too much. Yeah, and we always commented on it. It was just like, <laughs> when did he ever say that in the show? Never. But. uh I love seeing it here. Yeah. But he's obviously wrong. He keeps thinking that Kirk's some sort of imposter. He never does come up with the right uh, conclusion that it's just some sort of alternate universe, Kirk. Right. But uh, but then it wakes up, and I, you know, it's kind of a Wizard of Oz thing. Oh, I just had the strangest dream. Mm-hmm. But then the that last panel where they go into the Taz or Taz universe um, mm-hmm. it really made no sense but i loved it no but that that's great <laughs> and oh, you, again he, yeah. he's he's the only normal one and then spock's spock and even spock is animated yes animated yeah love it love it well, yeah it was funny so you, just when they lull you into a false sense of security that everything's back to normal bam they hit you with taz that's great <laughs> great way to end it yeah it was good all right, so now we ended off with the greatest of the of the issues. Uh, this one is entitled 
The greatest. Dream a little dream. Okay. Yeah, great. I love the greatest. <laughs> All right. So this came out July 2019. It was a bonus story included in New Visions Volume 8. So the story starts. And this is going to blow your mind. John Byrne is trying to write the next thrilling story of the Star Trek New Visions comic book series. But he's having a hard time staying awake. So while he's fighting sleep, Kirk, McCoy, and Spock suddenly arrive and tell him that they need his help. Very confused, Byrne is beamed up, along with the rest, to the Enterprise, and then taken to the bridge. On the bridge, the crew tell him that he his reported histories uh, are so well and so accurate that they need him now to help them come up with a solution of their current problem. And that problem is, is that the Enterprise is surrounded by hundreds of Klingons and Romulan D7 ships. Byrd does say that he has one idea that he's been thinking about, but he's never used it for his stories yet. And so they say, go ahead and do it. So he orders all power to the phasers. He then orders rapid fire of all phasers all at once. Sulu brings them close for a point-blank shot. Byrne screams out, fire! And then he awakens on his sofa. It was all a dream. Then he hears the transporter sound nearby and turns around to see McCoy. McCoy states that he dropped his communicator, and he seems to be doing that a lot before beaming away. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I like it. Especially having McCoy come back for his communicator. That's great. Yeah, it's pretty funny. There's multiple good things. So talk about wish fulfillment, right? So everybody, I think anybody who's a Star Trek fan would love to be in the, in the center seat giving the commands that save the Enterprise from a hopeless situation. Yeah. And not only that, but to walk onto the bridge and then have every single crew member mention how great you are. <laughs> <laughs> and then to get up there and give the order. Oh, my God. He's like, he is like a typical geek fan. Could you see if anybody was in a situation like this, they would do just what he did, which is basically scream at the top of your lungs, fire! You know. Probably absolutely, I mean, over the top. Over the top, giving the command. Yeah, I love that shot of him sitting into the chair like, ah, this is it. <laughs> Who's the captain now? Exactly. Okay, yeah. so you, you talked about um, how well Byrne is able to get, you know, change lighting and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, so, so, so he's able to take these, uh, these photos and, and clip them together so cleanly and even change the lighting and stuff, and then do ref anyway. A good example of that that made me think of it right away was in the opening thing when you first see Kirk and Spock and McCoy in Burns' office study, whatever it is. Right. They that's a great shot where they've got uh, Kirk and and the other two standing there, and the lines are so clean around these characters because you know this is a real setting. And they've superimposed these images of Kirk and Spock and, and, and McCoy. Now, if you don't look at their shoes too much, but you look at their upper bodies and stuff, they look like they're there. I mean, it's right. very clean. And if you look down 
towards Kirk's legs, lower legs, his boot, you can see the reflection of his leg in the glass coffee table. Right. So that's just, that's just wonderful detail that Byrne didn't have to put in there, but he did to make it uh, see mag- magnifique. Right, right. Great. Make it a little bit more realistic. Loved it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And then as far as the story goes, um, I mean, I do want to know if, if that maneuver if would have worked. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of D7s out there. Uh, yeah. I, when Sulu, a combined fleet of more than 100 Klingon and Romulan ships. There's no way the Enterprise can get out of that. And then when Burns says his idea, the first thing I thought of, Death Blossom. Is that a um, Last Starfighter thing? Exactly. That is exactly a Last Starfighter thing. Yeah, I definitely could see that. Yeah. Of course, in that one, as we everybody recalls, they were surrounded. The one ship is surrounded by all the bad guys, and then they put the gun star into the uh, you know Death Blossom thing. And it spins real fast and shoots in all different directions. Right. So it's not quite the same thing as what they're doing here, but it totally reminded me of it. Now, I haven't seen that movie in probably 30 years uh-huh. since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember at the time it was all cutting edge because it was the first time they used CG models for the ships and stuff. So mm-hmm. has it aged well? I have not seen that. Uh, I've not really seen that in a long time. It looks really, really bad. Well, yes. Well, it's like watching A New Hope, original one, and you see some of the computer displays and stuff. It's like, oh, oh yeah. my God, that looks horrible. <laughs> now, the ships, you know, flying around, zipping around, those look, those, those look really good. If you but, excuse the big blocky uh, outline. Uh, uh, outline sometimes, yeah, you're right. You're right about that. Um, but... Yeah, from this time period. I mean, even even the Star Trek movies, you know, some of the uh, some of the graphics are pretty hokey. It right. date, it's it dates itself. So I might have to look that one up. I haven't seen. I don't even know how I pulled that out of my uh, memory. Yeah, because uh, I haven't seen that in so long. Well, I remember Death Blossom, and I remember the name of the last Starfighter. But as far as the guns being gun stars, I didn't. I didn't remember that at all. I, oh, okay. you know, I looked it up because I had to get a picture. <laughs> so of course I, I grabbed a picture and pasted it in my notes of the gun nice. star. But yeah, yeah, I loved that when that movie came out, and that was that was like 1982 or something, right? So that was a while ago. Yeah, so I was like eight. <laughs> I was older. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that big wall of Klingon ships, what did that remind you of? Um, nothing. What? Picard Season 2. Oh, God. I mean, Picard Season 1. Right. Just that, a giant you're right. wall of Romulan ships in front of a giant wall of Federation ships. Yeah. And it looks stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was supposed to be that way, right? Right. This was meant to be that way. They. Yeah. I don't think Picard... Desired to elicit guffaws. Oh, they were going for this. is going to be so cool. Yeah, boy. Not. So, yeah. So, this came out before Picard. I'm just saying, I think that maybe they were like, watch this. Ep- they read this book issue and were like, we could do that in real life. <sighs> It'd be so cool. Yeah. Well, supposedly, 
I mean, you read about that, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, being a last-minute thing. Very last-minute. Oh, is it Doug Drexler? Is that the guy? Uh, anyway, they got a hold of, of Doug Drexler or somebody, uh, an old hand at Star Trek things, and he was able to pull out some, a ship design he had from uh, what uh, Star Trek Online. Right. And so they just took that design and... Copy and pasted it. Copy and paste, baby. Oh, let's let's change the engines a little. The color that should be. We could change the color, right? Okay, a few of these will change the color of the nacelles. Totally different ships. Now, has Eagle Moss done each version, all three of those um, versions of that same ship? Yes, they have. You have them. I only have one. I've got the original one. So the Shing Shing He or whatever, the one that Riker oh, was the in. The one that Riker was actually on. Right. So I got that one. That's it. Uh, I think the other versions are kind of unnecessary. So the color is different, but the but the nacelle is a little, the shape's a little different also. Right. Not usually different, but a little different. And you could own all of them, Donovan. All of them. Should I? Should I? <sighs> Should I? So cool. anyways, anything else about this issue? I mean, I liked it. But uh, uh, it's no. definitely not a serious one. No, not serious at all. It's cute. It's a nice little, it's a nice little story. I like it. And, and Kurt, I mean, McCoy's saying he left his communicator. Hmm. It's kind of silly. Icing on the cake. Oh, it's silly, but it's that's great. I love it. So uh, a little Cause... off topic. Uh, okay. There was a Doctor Who novel b- okay. back when the Thirteenth Doctor just came out. Mm-hmm. They, they released a novel called The Good Doctor, mm-hmm. and in it, she goes to a planet. And one of her companions, um, Graham, he he drops his cell phone basically. Oh, and then oh, really? they end up going to that same planet in the future, and it's all screwed up because his cell phone. Oh. Uh, and so then, then they like split up, and some of them are in the future, and then some of them are in the past trying to get the cell phone back. Right. And the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, this seems familiar. <laughs> you, that didn't bring a bell for you immediately. Yeah, of course it did. Okay, okay. But, uh, I mean, I just thought it was hilarious that, and it's even called the Good Doctor. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not true, but but still, even the title, the Good Doctor, really made me think of McCoy. And uh, then this, you know, the whole story is about McCoy's little blunder. That's great. That's good. I mean, they borrow from each other all the time. Come on. As we've said before, the whole Gary Seven thing. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, being part of uh, the Watchers. Exactly. That's what we're going to have to call it from now on. I guess, especially when they start that TV series. I hope they do. Well, the cool thing about that is you got Spiner then involved, as well as uh, uh, Will Wheaton. And Rios could still be there. And, yeah, there's a lot. Oh, good point about Rios. They could bring in... Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe Ricardo Montalban's son. Uh, nah, it has to be. It has to be Benedict. Uh, 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 <laughs> well, generally, uh, considering really who the considering who the production company is, um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So uh, there, there is talks of a, a con eugenic war tv series tv series and and i'm assuming that if they do that then they would 
set it after Picard season two. Well, I think that would be so much more meat to work with than, of course, of course. By the time this goes posting, I mean obviously the the season two closing of Picard is well watched by everybody. Uh, where uh, Wesley Crusher comes back doing a retcon of Gary Seven and his role in the world, and. Um, and I thought that would just be it. It would be the adventures. Like, this is another backdoor um, pilot idea. Like, see what kind of reaction you get uh, from this. See what people say things. And I was just thinking just a Wesley Crusher, Traveler, Retcon, uh, Aegis, um, you know, Gary Seven kind of thing. Right. But if it was built in with the whole con... Um, Dr. Soong, I mean, it's like, oh, boy, there's a, there's a lot more meat there. That'd be great. Yeah, could be good. Yeah. We'll see if they ever actually do anything. Well, like we said, you know, if you want to have Star Trek on all the time so that people keep paying Paramount Plus, you need to have enough, enough series going so they can be end-to-end. Right. Okay. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And next week... We will be doing more Spotlight with uh, Romulan... I'm sorry. Klingons and Ferengi. There you go. Yeah, the first two issues of the new uh, Star Trek Spotlight that's just started this year. Right. And these are like annual size, so they're they're like 40-something pages each. So we're we're only going to do two. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Thanks for joining us, everybody. See you next time on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.